All right. Good morning again. Seems like I just saw you guys. That's pretty amazing. You know, if there was ever a perfect song for one of the videos that I do for sermons, that's it. And I'm telling you what, we need to get back to the basics of life. We really do. And so I'm hoping that today that you will, again, listen with open hearts and open ears, um, whether you are the younger generation or the older generation. I pray that we'll span across that this morning as we hear from the Word of God. As you see, the sermon this morning is, what's the matter with us? What's the matter with us? You know, every once in a while, Judy will, I'm a little quirky on my moods, okay? I'll be the first to tell you that. I just get weird sometimes, and it can happen, like, real quickly. It's probably one of those weird, weird psychotic diseases. I don't know. I watch these commercials on TV, and I kind of go, gee, that looks like me, you know? But anyway, so every once in a while, Judy would go, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Brent walked in the office the other day. This week, I was laying on the couch, not sleeping. I was studying, okay, for Wednesday night, you know? But I'm laying there, you know, and I give him a, he knocks on the door and gives me a, yeah, I say, yeah, come on in. You know, and I don't, I don't jump off and go, hi, Brent. Like, you know, I, I do that. We don't want to have that. Yeah. But I didn't do that. He goes, what's wrong, dude? <laughs> what's wrong, dude? And I said, oh, nothing. I'm just studying, da, 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 getting, you know, getting ready for Africa and all those things in my mind. But, you know, the, the deal is, you ask your question sometimes, what is wrong with us? When, when you see what's going on in our culture, um, and, as a child, as a Christ follower now, as a Christ follower, you know, if you're not a Christ follower, you probably think everything's normal. Okay? But if you're a Christ follower, you kind of got to go, What's the matter with us? And never is that bigger than in the area of life. Life simply matters. Life simply matters. And so, so today we want to take a look at that. Now, now what's happening today is, how many of y'all have ever been to the beach? Yeah, chunky y'all haven't. Some of y'all haven't. Y'all to go to Florida. Uh, you know, y'all do that every once in a while. Okay. But anyway, so if you've ever walked on the beach... Um, it happens in a several several places. You know, if you've been to Panama City particularly, it's got that nice white sugary sand, and away from the water, it's just like squishy, you know. But when you're down where where water meets the sand, where more water meets the sand, right there, then then as the waves come in and out, and as you're walking or if you stand still, literally the wave will wash the sand from underneath your feet, and you kind of lose your footing. You kind of like, you know, struggle. And again, when you're up, up on the top, you may not struggle to keep your footing, but it's really difficult to walk. Well, in a way, that is what's happening in our culture. Today, our culture seems to be shifting. And by the way, this is not like, this is like truth, okay? I don't want to say this is like some preacher talk. This is true. Our culture is shifting as we try to walk through life. And again, as a Christ follower, you've got to kind of ask the question, How do we walk in this world? How do we do that? Because it's so crazy. Let me give you a crazy. If I understand right, and I've seen the news right, it's not too uncommon these days when you will hear a story about a mother, an expectant mother, who is abusing um, alcohol or drugs, and it ends up damaging her unborn child, and she has charged a crime for damaging that child. Okay. On the other hand, we live in a culture where a mother can take the life of her unborn child any time she chooses. Once again, we now live in one of the most liberal states um, in America. Again, that is not an understatement at all. And again, we have this abortion law where children can be murdered in the womb really almost up to birth. 
almost right up to birth. It's a crazy thing. You know, we charged, we charged the lady for abusing drugs and damaging her fetus and then turn around and say, but however, but you can't take the child's life. It's just a crazy, crazy situation we live in. Literally, our culture is uh, shifting beneath our feet. Now, fortunately, the Bible gives us some great guidance and encouragement on how we should live in this world. Uh, you know, I, I know in some ways it's going to challenge us, but I know it's one thing that as a Christ follower... If we need steady guidance, it's got to come from the Word of God. Now, we can look back in history um, a lot, and particularly ancient history, and we can see where this issue kind of pops up. So we're going to go all the way back to Egypt, and we're going back to Exodus chapter 1 and see a great story about how this was happening and how it was handled uh, even back then. And the great part is, as the Word of God so often does, it's like it was printed yesterday for our culture Today, okay. Now, before though, before we go to Egypt, okay, before we get going to Egypt, we need to go here. We need to go right here. Um, I probably will forget to look. And by the way, let me pause. I'm, I'm sorry, I, don't, I forget to do this. I haven't mentioned the Bible app in a long time. If you've got the Bible app on your phone, if you'll go to that line where it says more and click on events, you've got the entire scriptures, all the illustrations, and all the graphics right there on your phone. So just open new version, click on more, go to events, and open it up, and you'll find it right there. Okay, so, so that's really important. It really is important. Okay, but, but right here is where it all starts. Right here. You know, I've got a lot of points in the sermon today. I probably will forget them. But I know the first one is this. It's cross point. It's cross point. You see, at the essence of life is God's love for people. At the essence of life is God's love for people. Okay? See, the John 3.16 is not just the greatest verse in the Bible because it's the gospel in a nutshell. And it is. Okay? But it's also important because we learn so much about the nature and character of God. Now, that verse says, as you will, most of you know, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Now, when he said that, he wasn't talking about God loved Yosemite National Park. God loves the Grand Canyon. God loves the majestic Pacific Ocean. That was not what he was saying. In fact, he wasn't even saying God loves the values of this world. In fact, he probably abhors the values of this world. What he was saying, though, that God so loved the people of this world. That's big. That's big. You know, the Bible says a lot about how God is enamored with man. It was his, it was his wondrous creation. And even after the fall, he spent all this time finding a way to redeem them and break them back into the fold. I mean, I just hope you know how valuable you are to God. And you know what? That includes the unborn. Come on, amen? It includes the unborn. We're going to talk about this. It includes the unborn. Uh, it includes those that are special needs. It includes those who have become a, shall we say, a drain on society because uh, they're older and they longer are productive. You know, God loves people. God loves people that you agree with and God loves people that you disagree with. God loves people that you would say are not worthy of salvation. But be careful there because you weren't either. You weren't either. So God so loved the world that he gave his son. So he sends his son 
two, and I know you know, some of y'all know this, yeah, Dwayne, we've heard this story before. It all just thrills you every time I tell it. God loves you so much that he sent his son into this world, okay, to die on this cross. So before we go to Egypt, we need to go here. Because this forever states that God loves this world. God loves babies and God loves crack addicts and God loves drunks and God loves Baptists and God loves Methodists. God loves people. Okay? And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will not perish. That's huge. So life, I'm trying to say life matters to God. Life matters to God. Don't forget that wondrous truth. So, so with that said, with cross points spoken, okay, now, now, now let's just move, use, move a little bit further to what now, what God is precious, why human life is precious to God. Um, Randy Alcorn has a quote, and we've got a slide for it, okay? Listen to this. Something non-human. Now, again, you understand there are people, and this is one of the big deals, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment. It's one of the big deals. When does life begin? That's, for some people, that's an issue. Okay, for me, it's not. I'll leave life begins at conception. But, but for some people, it's an issue. So and I'm, assuming, I'm assuming that if you're here today and you say, well, life begins at week, well, I don't know how many weeks there are, 25, 30, I don't know how many there are. Okay, I just know I got born, dude. Okay, and so, so here we have this, and I'm not sure at what point you would say life begins, so I'm assuming then anything before that point is non-human to you, to you, okay? Maybe, maybe you say, well, it's not a human until the baby's born. So anything before that, you would say is non-human. But listen to this. This is good. Something non-human, okay, doesn't become human by becoming older and bigger. If you've got something that you consider non-human, it doesn't become human just because it gets bigger and older. So, so again, I don't know where you want to put the beginning of life at, but life doesn't sometimes become human, life, okay, just because it gets bigger in the womb and it gets older in the womb. Or it's finally born. You know, the truth is, whatever is human is human from the beginning. Whatever is human is human from the beginning. So, so here's, here's we've got to ask the question, so at what point, okay? At what point does something become human? At what point does it become non-human? Because you see, if you're saying, well, you know, we're living in a, Dwayne, we live in a modern culture. And instead of filling up these nursing homes with people who don't know who they are or where they are, why don't we just go ahead and do everybody a favor, including them, and just gently lead them into eternity? And, and you somehow would justify it in your brain by saying they're no longer productive, hence they're no longer human. And you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. God says life is human. It begins at conception and it ends at death. That's what, amen? That's what it is. That's what it is. Now, we need to look, well, what, Dwayne, what do you got that the Bible says about life? Well, listen to this. I love this because it was in, is in the song, You Know My Name. Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5 says this. The word of the Lord came to me, and that would be Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. 
So, so before even conception, okay, God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet. So God has this wonderful foreknowledge of you even before you were conceived um, in the womb. Then he goes on further and says, um, I set you apart before you were born. So, so while in the womb, all right, God set Jeremiah apart. So apparently, God believes that a baby in the womb is human. He did not say, I set apart a fetus. He said, I put you, Jeremiah, apart in the womb. And then he goes on and says, I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. So after he was born, okay, he became a prophet to the nations. So God has this incredible foreknowledge, not just of Jeremiah, but of every person. He declares that they are human in the womb, and then God calls them precious until the last breath. Now, there's an interesting scripture that I've always thought, I've used it for sanctity of life for a long time, sanctity of human life, because it's really cool. So, you know, Mary gets the word that she's going to become the mother of Jesus, okay? And so she sets time aside and goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is expecting a baby, John the Baptist, all right? And they're cousins. And so Mary shows up, okay? And when she walks up, she goes something like this. Hi, Elizabeth. It's kind of like we would do, Okay. Listen to what the Word of God says in Luke chapter 1, verse 44. For indeed, and this is Elizabeth speaking, For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, here it is, here's the big one, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So, so, when, so, when, so when Mary exclaimed out to Elizabeth, the Bible says that John the Baptist in her womb, the future John the Baptist, okay, left for joy in the womb. Now, here's what you need to know. Now, y'all know all about this, first off. I, 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 you know, you're sitting there, and you're, 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 your wife is pregnant, okay, and, and, and all of a sudden, boom. Y'all remember, booms, you know. And, and why do you holler out? Honey, honey. Come quickly. The fetus is kicked. That's not what you say, do you? You say, honey, the baby has kicked. Boom. I'm, I'm, once again, remember I talked about this. I'm so glad that God let you ladies have babies. The population of the world would be so small if it was men. About every family would have one kid. Because men, first off, the time some... About time some, some baby in a womb reached out and kicked our kidney, we would be done. And then forget labor. I'd say it'd be a lot smaller world. Okay? So so he says, you know, the babe leaped in my womb for what? For joy. Now you remember we learned just last week about joy. You know, joy is that deep sense of inner peace that's based on faith in God and, and trust in his sovereign will. Well, here is another biblical definition. Of joy, I really thought this was cool. Okay, I looked it up in the Greek. Okay, and this word "joy" translates great gladness, great gladness, and usually, you ladies can appreciate this. Usually accompanied by jumping, leaping, and dancing. Has any lady here ever thought the baby was doing what? Tusi in your womb? Hello. <laughs> 
kind of those vibration deals. But look at this. So, so God's word says that, that when Mary spoke and Elizabeth heard, John the Baptist in her womb heard, okay, the babe, the babe heard and danced and was, had great gladness while in the womb. Now that sounds like something that might be human to me. It just might be human. And the last one, of course, is one everybody knows. is Psalm 139. It's just a humdinger. I've only got a couple of verses from there. You know, verse 13 says this. For it was you who created my inward parts. And by the way, that's true for every child. You know, David is speaking about himself in broad terms. But it's true. It is God who knits together every babe. God knits together every babe. Um, you, you knit me, you created me, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, I like this. There's an old saying that's kind of old and, you know, but it's so true. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make junk. He's not, I mean, again, I know, I know sometimes, you know, we look at human beings and say, boy, that's, God doesn't make junk. Write it down, tattoo it on your hand. God does not Make junk. Life is precious. Now, also, not only does God not make junk, okay, everything he does in the human realm does not become junk. Does not become junk. You know, you buy a new car. You fork out these days twenty to thirty, forty five thousand dollars for a car. Okay? And you are so proud of that car. Guess what that car is gonna be in twenty five years? Junk. That rule doesn't apply to people. God doesn't make junk, and what he makes does not become junk. Satan will tell you, Satan will tell you that's a lie, but it's not. And by the way, when you're looking at your neighbor that you can't stand, and you're sitting there saying, boy, if I ever saw junk, that's it. Don't call what God makes junk. Who are we to judge? Who are we as sinners to turn around and judge sinners? We've got to learn this. We've got to learn this. Every life is precious. So much, of what, so much of what we do here at Georgeville is reaching out into people's lives. And we reach into their lives for the purpose of showing them value and loving them with a hope to share the gospel. With a hope to share the gospel. So, so we have that. And it goes on and says, all... Now this is the, all my days, this is verse 16, all my days um, were written in your book and planned before a single one of them was lived. Wow. So, so God wrote a life story while you're in the womb. And every day was planned. Now you see the tragedy of that. If that scripture is true, you know, how, many, how many plans have been foiled uh, by us, by mankind? Just something to think about. Something to think about. So, so we have to determine, you know, at what point does human life begin, okay? And I really, if you're a Christ follower, if you're, if you're not a Christ follower, you've already tuned me, tuned me out, I'm sure, okay? But if you are a Christ follower, then, then you really need to take a look at what the Word of God says and believe that, okay? So, so we're going to leave the cross point, okay? And we're going to move on over to Egypt, all right? So get on your walking shoes, and we're heading over to Egypt now. And let me give you a little bit of a backstory without taking a whole lot of time. But you remember a guy named Joseph was sold into slavery 
uh, ended up in Egypt first as a slave and then as a prisoner. And then because the hand of God was on him, um, he got in favor with Pharaoh and became the second ruler in the land. Okay, saved Egypt from a great famine. Um, then he calls in the brothers that sold him into slavery, calls them down. They come down and he feeds them. He didn't call them. He, they feed, he feeds them and a lot of die and they find out he's the brother and, and you know what you plan for evil, God planned for good. Okay, and, and Joseph rules. Now, we, don't, we, we know when he dies, but his influence lives on. For how long, Wayne? Well, the children of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years. And this probably occurs about 75 years, I'm guessing, 75 years um, before Moses. Okay? Maybe not. Yeah, before Moses returns as, as, as the head guy. Okay? So, so that long. All right? So, so all these years, all these years... Do you remember Joseph? Do you remember what he did? Do you remember Joseph? Do you remember what he did? Legends of Joseph lived on. Okay? And then, in verse number 8 of Exodus 1, okay, we read this. A new king. Now, keep in mind, in Egypt, Pharaoh was God. Pharaoh was God. He had absolute authority, and he saw himself, and they saw him as a god. So, a new king, and watch, watch, a new king who did not know about Joseph. Now, your first thought is going to be, how in the world can you, he, how could he not know about Joseph? Come on! He's written all over the history books. That's not what it means. It means this. He did not appreciate nor value the achievements of Joseph. He did not appreciate or value the accomplishments of Joseph. Joseph was just some old guy in the history books. And that's all he was. You know why it's so important? Because it's happening in America. It is so unpopular to talk about our founding fathers and their faith. You can talk about the founding fathers... All you want to in public circles. Just don't bring up their faith in God. Now, hear me clearly. Not every founding father was a Christian. Read your history books. But they did believe in the core values of God. The Judeo, what we call now the Judeo-Christian values, they did believe in that. And they founded this nation... On the principles of God. Okay? What has happened in the last, really in the last 30 or 40 years, all right, those have been lost. We now live in a generation of people that no longer really remember the faith of our founding fathers. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Oh, they'll throw out the names of the founding fathers, and when it's, especially when it's convenient for them. But you will hear no Democrats and few Republicans who will mention the faith of the founding father. It's just not popular. It's just not popular. And it does not line up with the culture we live in today. The values, the Christian values of times gone by do not line up with who we are as a nation today. So they won't mention it. So, so this king chose not to remember. And I think as a culture... It pretty well lines up that we also are forgetting, choosing to forget what our founding fathers based this nation 
well. This guy didn't know Joseph. He came to power. And so he said, he said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. So, so this guy is a lot like Herod who tried to kill Jesus when he was born. This same twisted logic. So, so he sees this, quote, problem. Actually, he, he makes a problem. He says, have you noticed? Have y'all, am I the only one in the room? Have, am I the only one in the room who has noticed that there's more Israelites than us? Am I the only one in the room? So, so he calls attention to a supposed problem. Media does this so well. Have you noticed that? For a week, this topic will be big. And all of a sudden, it just disappears. It's whatever they choose to throw out in front of us, and they, they flood us. We're going, this is a huge problem. And guess what? A week later, the problem's gone. Isn't that amazing? Well, he decides to throw this out, okay? All right? And, and you know, we do it in our culture today, not only, with the, not only with the abortion issue anymore. I keep telling you that. It's a life issue. It's a life issue. I'm going to show you something later on, but it's a life issue. You know, when the abortion issue was so big in 1973 in Roe v. Wade, the number one thing was women's rights. That a woman should have the right to do whatever she wants to with her body. And, of course, again, the problem with that is if you believe that a baby in the womb is human, then that's a real issue. That's a real issue. Not against women's rights. But we have another human there to consider. It's a real issue. And then, then I hear sometimes people say this. Well, here's, here's better logic than that. Why bring a child into the world that isn't wanted? Why bring a child into the world who's going to be, you know, uh, starved, abused? I don't think that's our call. Because, again, God is the one who knits them together, and that's God's call, not our call. And then finally, guys, and I don't think we get this. Maybe because I'm now 66, I'm getting clearer and clearer. You know, is that at some point when, when humans um, fail to be a, a, a value to society, okay, let's do, again, I know this sounds so harsh, but let's do people a favor and let's just help them out of this world. That's, I, I know it's crazy, but that is where it's heading to in our culture. So, so the king says, look, the Israelite people are more numerous, numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and they will leave the country. Now, this is so crazy, okay? Let's deal shrewdly. Um, let, let's put them in intense bondage, okay? And then let's try to limit their birth rate. That was the plan. Limit the birth rate, put them in extreme bondage, okay? Because here's why. Otherwise, you know, our enemies are going to come. They're going to cyber their enemies. There's going to be a war, and they're going to turn against us and leave the country. There's no evidence of that. There's no, he is creating a problem for the purpose of killing a people. You know, you know we see this. You know, this was a this was a pretext for persecution. This is exactly this is exactly what Nazi Germany did. I mean, the bottom line is Hitler said this: if you're a German Aryan, you basically can live. But other categories, insane people. Okay, homosexual people, um, Jewish people, Jewish Poles. He also mandated they all die. They all die. And he had a logical reason for that. And guess what? What did the German people do? They bought a hook, line, and sinker. In the name of nationalism, they bought it hook, line, and sinker. I'm just afraid that's happening in our culture. I'm not comparing our culture to Hitler, so don't go home and say that. 
But I'm just saying the culture is so strong today. It's selling. And it seems like the masses, whatever they're selling, they're buying. I'm tell- I mentioned this last week, and I still think it's appropriate this week. You know, used to be you would talk to someone about Jesus, and they say, don't cram your religion down my throat. Well, now they're on the offense, and we find ourselves saying, don't cram your culture down my throat. Things have flipped. Things have flipped. Our culture today, we are post-Christian, and again, we are largely in a nation and a culture that is not ignoring God or anti-God. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. So, in answer to that, in verse 11, so the Egyptians assigned taskmasters um, over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. And they, as a side benefit, they built Pithon and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. So that's the setup. And it all started with a king who chose not to remember the effects of Joseph. Now, I'm not sure when all this started. But if you're a boomer, I think some of it lays at our feet. We were so busy in the 60s getting high and drunk and giving away free love and do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. We set up a culture that we have today. I am a boomer. And I think, guys, it's our feet. But listen, whether you're a boomer or whether you're a millennial or whether you're an X, a Y, or Z, listen to me. If you're a Christ follower, none of that matters. None of that matters. Here's what matters. When God speaks clearly, there is no debate and no decision. When God speaks clearly, if you're a Christ follower, when God speaks clearly, there is no decision and no debate. Life is precious. Life is precious. It's not a generational thing. It's not about, well, the old feel this way and the young feel this way and those in between feel that way. That doesn't matter. If you're a Christ follower, when God speaks, no decision, no debate, life is precious. So we get down to the pressure point. This is Exodus 1, 12 through 14. But the more they oppress them... The Egyptians oppressed the the, uh, Jewish people. The more they multiplied... And by the way, in case you're wondering, that's the sovereignty of God. That's the sovereignty of God. They multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Now, this is a big word. If you've got a Bible or you're on your iPad, circle or, or highlight that word dread. Okay? This word means to abhor, to loathe, and to sickeningly dread. Let me say those again. The word dread means to abhor, to loathe, or sickeningly dread. I debated whether to bring even this up this morning, but I think I will. I've been watching a series on TV as I walk on the treadmill um, entitled American Color. And it goes back to each decade, starting with the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, and then some specialty topics. And, and they colorize all the black and white footage and bring it to life. And every time I do that, as a Southerner, I am shocked at the way African Americans were treated. And maybe are treated. But I'm shocked how they were treated then. Beaten. Hanged. Their homes blown up. Shot. Murdered. And no one held accountable. You want to know why? I'll tell you. I'm not afraid to say it. 
Southern whites abhorred, loathed, and sickeningly dread the African American. The same thing, the same thing the Egyptians did there, we saw happen. Go to World War II. If you had to be a Japanese descent, an American citizen, an American citizen, you sold your business, packed up your stuff, and were put in a concentration camp for three years. Three years in the desert. It's amazing how a land of the free so quickly turns on its own people. Well, they did. They did. They, they spread so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And they worked the people, the Israelites, ruthlessly. And what a great hard picture. They, they worked the Israelites ruthlessly and, and made their lives bitter and with difficult labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this on them. It's like the authors just trying to show you how bad it was. Let me ask you a question. Do you think when a slave died in Egypt... Got all work stopped and they had a big funeral and they had a morning service for him? No. If he was in the way, they buried him up with whatever they were doing. Life meant nothing. In a culture, in a culture where life means nothing, the innocent are going to suffer more. In a life, in a culture where life means nothing, the innocent suffer more. Dwayne, you got an illustration? I sure do. You know, the next, the PowerPoint, I called it, Exodus 1, 15 and 16. So, so the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, now, now these, see these as administrators. It's not like all of Israel had two midwives. These are the administrators. And, you'll, and again, there's an illustration of that a little bit later on in the scripture. So, so Pharaoh calls in the, the bosses of the midwives, okay? So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shipra and the other was Pura. And when you help the Hebrew women, he says, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. Yeah. But if it's a daughter, she may live. So the king, whose life, who considers life as worthless, calls in the midwives, whose job it is to bring babies into the world, and says, here's what I want you to do. Because he's a demigod. He's a demigod. You will do what I say. Bring them in, and when they deliver a son, you are to kill them, and then when it's a daughter, she may live. Now, remember this. We need to remember. This is one of the basics of life. Okay? Wrong is wrong. Even if everyone is doing it. Right is right even if no one is doing it. So these midwives are in crunch time. They... They are devoted, you're going to see they're God-fearing, and they are devoted to bringing life in. It's crunch time. The demigod has said, this is what I want you to do. What do you do with the demigod? What do you do? Do you obey him, or do you obey the one true God? What do you do with this? You know, I threw a slide in there, and it's, it's good. I would rather be hated for speaking God's truth than hailed for trying to redefine it. I really be hated for speaking God's truth than hailed for trying to redefine it. 
See, we are, we are, it's crunch time for us. More and more, and by the way, you're going to say this more and more, more and more Christian values don't work for, for the world. Okay? And, and the way we redefine God's word is, you know, we, we do, we, we rationalize it or we ignore it. We rationalize it or we ignore it. That's what we do. That's what we're tempted to do. And that statement where it says, I'd really be hated for speaking God's truth and hailed for trying to redefine it. Can I say something? That is not a license to be mean. Let me say it again. I almost made it. That is not a license to be mean. That is not a license to hate. You won't find that in Jesus' vocabulary. He opposed evil. He opposed wrong. But mean and hatefulness was not in, not in his vocabulary or his actions. So, as I said, the world stood by by, neo, by Nazi fascism, murdered millions of people. And it really did. Again, I, I love watching history. And they knew, the government knew People were being killed in vast numbers in Germany, but did nothing about it. You know, Edmund Burke says, you know, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. So that moves us down to crunch time. What are the midwives going to do? What are they going to do? Well, in verse 17 of Exodus 1, the midwives, however, feared God. Feared God. You know, we have to ask that question, Acts 5.22, when the disciples were before the council, and they said, you can't, you can't preach in this man's name anymore. And they said, you decide whether we should, we should obey man or God. But we're going to obey God. We're going to obey God. You decide what you want to, but we're going to obey God. Okay? So, so the midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt told them. They let the boys live. And you mark this down. And by the way, these are the first pro-life heroines. And when, when God and man are on a collision course, if you're Christ's father, God's got to trump. God's got to win. We've got to decide in our heart, no matter the cost, okay? And students, oh my goodness, students at high school, this is tough for you, I know. College students, it's tough for you. On the job, it's tough for us. But when man and God collide, we have got to choose God. We've got to choose God. Someone said this, I don't have a, a credit for it. Integrity is choosing courage over comfort, choosing what is right over what is fast, fun, and easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply just professing them. It's time for the church to practice its values. We talk a big talk. It's time to practice those values. All right. Kayla, I'm going to slip on over to Exodus chapter 1, verse 18. So... The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? Word got back. Why have you done this and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife. And that include, that obviously realizes there's more than two. Okay? Those were supervisors. 
And so apparently the supervisors went and talked to everybody else and said, guys, this is what the king says. What are we going to do about this? Because they all had the same value of life. Okay? So, so they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can get there to them. I, I thought this was funny. Okay? So, so what did they do? Let, let me break it down for you. Number one, they had a plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch and let her go into labor. And as soon as the child is born, okay, all right, it's too late for us to do anything. It's too late. They call us in. There's the baby sitting there. We can't steal the baby away and kill the baby. So what we'll do is we'll wait and get there too late. Oops, it's too late again. Or they lied. They just lied to Pharaoh. And well, here's what I thought was funny. So many of the old boys were so harsh. How can these women lie to Pharaoh? How can God bless a lie? I don't know about that. All I know is this. I ain't casting stones. I think, they, I think God, they had the courage to do the right thing. No matter how they chose the right thing, I am glad they had the courage to do the right thing. They said, Mr. Pharaoh, you know, we ain't killing no boys. Life is precious. Life is precious. You know, Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the companion of mockers. Let me put that in a positive way. How, how happy is the one who does walk in the advice of the godly, who stands in the pathway of righteousness and worships in the company of believers. Thank God for people who stood in the midst of adversity and did the right thing. Was, how many of y'all would say it would be easy for them? It wasn't. I mean, Pharaoh could kill them like that. But they put their own lives on the line for the sake of life. For the sake of life. Well, here's my explanation point. So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very numerous. And since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. God rewarded the midwives for their faithfulness with the very thing they loved, which was a family. Isn't that good? Come on, isn't that good? I think it's great. I think it's great. And, you know, Hebrews eleven six says, you know, you know, without faith it's impossible to please God. And those that come to him must believe that he is and that he rewards those. Those who diligently seek him. You know, I, I don't know, but here's the deal. Um, I, 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 I one Jews listened to a talker this morning, a preacher, before she came, and and you know we want we want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. You know, it's, it's Christine Kane, I think, and you know, and, and she was saying, I fear not hearing well done, good and faithful servant. You know. Jesus said, don't fear man who can kill the body, but fear God who has the power not only to kill the body, but to cast it into hell. Don't fear man. Can I give you a, a little secret? God's in control. God's in control. And, and, the, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, King, listen here. You know, we think our God's able to deliver us, but if he chooses not to deliver us, in other words, we die, hey, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. We're going to obey God. So, so what's our responsibility, do you think? How would you verbalize 
our responsibility. All right, number one, we cannot stand idly by. We can't just put our hands in our pockets or cross our arms in this culture. We need to do something. We can't stand idly by. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So we just don't have that option. As Christ followers, as Christ followers. Okay. Number two, um, we cannot stand in judgment. We are so good at this. Okay? We are excellent rock chuckers. Okay? Um, you're going to find this out. What's the old saying? You can draw more flies with sugar than you can with salt. That is not, that's not compromise. That's not like, you know, people, you know, if I love somebody that's wrong, I think they're wrong, the Bible says wrong, won't that be compromise? No, it's not compromise. God so loved the world. Those, in fact, what else does it say in Romans 5 eight? But God demonstrated his love towards us that in while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Church, we don't need to judge. Leave the judge into God. Let me, well, what are we supposed to do, Dwayne? Why don't you try sharing the gospel? Why don't you try loving people? It seemed to work for Jesus. I mean, I don't know, but it seemed to work for Jesus. We cannot judge. And we must extend and receive forgiveness. We must extend and receive forgiveness. Extend forgiveness, okay, where forgiveness needs to be granted. If you've been, you know, if you're here today and you've been wrongly accused and beaten up by a Christian over some issue like this, extend forgiveness. I just ask you to. And you need to know this, that if, if, if there's a decision, a life choice in your past that you so regret, in fact, if there's any decision in your past that you so regret, okay, one, you won't find judgment here, at least from not this platform. And two, you need to accept God's forgiveness. You need to accept God's forgiveness. As a Christ follower or not, you need to accept God's forgiveness. I love, I love, I love the story of the prodigal son. He shows up after wasting all dad's money, runs off, says, oh, I wish you were dead. He shows up, and there's the father, arms open, waiting to love him. And that's what you're going to find with God. So I don't know what's in your past. Just know this. You do not have to fear judgment, at least from here. And two, God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He just loves you and wants to forgive you. And that's it. And that's it. So, we're going to leave here in just a few minutes. I bet this sermon's going to be talked about a lot over dinner. Maybe supper. But I hope that when you go outside, you'll realize this. That our culture desperately needs Jesus Christ. They are making decisions because of influences from government and all those different things. You know, again, people buy what the news is saying, okay? And uh, so go out and love. Go out and love. Look for people that need loving and love them. Be a friend. And then you know what? If they need Jesus, 
you may well be the one God uses to lead them to salvation. And you might be the one who helps a lady or a man heal. I am 12 seconds over, but I'm going to tell you a story. A long time ago, we had a lady come speak here. Her name was Joanne. And here's the story. A much younger pastor did his best job that he could on St. Dead Life Sunday. I don't even remember the message. But I do remember there was a lady out there who sat during the service with her head bowed. And when she went out the door, and I'm standing at the door shaking hands, she just hung her head and walked out. I thought a little bit about it. Not a whole lot. She was a visitor to the church. We didn't know her. I think, you know what, Judy? I think I remember saying to you, and she picked a hard time to come to church. I think I remember saying that. Well, anyway, so Monday came, and uh, my secretary came and said, Dwayne, there's a woman sitting in the sanctuary. She won't talk. I said, okay. Apprehensive, apprehensive. <laughs> So I walk over there and I said, hi, I'm Brother Dwayne, I'm the pastor here. Can I help you? And it was the lady that was there. She was weeping. And she didn't respond. I think it was like a day later, maybe two. She came back, sitting in the sanctuary. Someone told me, I go. And she shares her story. There was an abortion in her and the guilt and the pain and the shame was eating her lunch. And guess what I got to do? I got to share Jesus. Yeah, she got saved. She got saved. And that was about probably 30 years ago. And guess what she's doing today? Gladly serving the Lord Jesus Christ. She found and that's what God offers so let's leave and let's love and let's forgive and this hurting culture that's so confused let's offer them the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ let's bow our heads you know this is our decision time and, and again if we can help you in any way if you'd like to come and pray that's great if you want to know more about this Jesus I talked about that died on the cross We'd love to share that with you. If you would like to join our fellowship, we'd love to talk with you about that. You know, whatever decision, however God spoke to your heart, we, I want you to know you can come, and this will be a safe place for you. I want you to know that. So this is our time for you to act on what you may have heard today. And, of course, it doesn't end here. You can go home and, and talk to the Father and perhaps pray, and we would love to share with you um, if that's the case, even after church. We would love that. So Tina's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. And this is your time to respond if God so led you. Let's pray. Father, thank you very, very much for the privilege of sharing these truths. And Father, I pray that, Father, I've spoken in a way that you want me to speak. I've represented you well and the word well. And Father, I want to pray right now for hurting hearts, for broken hearts, that they might be redeemed and restored. I pray, Father, for wisdom. For us as we live in this culture, that we will represent you well. Father, do not let us judge, 
Do not let us be mean. Do not let us be hateful. Jesus, help us. Help us to follow and act and mimic you. So this is your time to do what you'd like to do. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.